Joining me today is Kelly Swentek, a partner in our Austin office. Today we'll talk with Kelly about her path into Bain, her work in energy and natural resources and performance improvement, and the work she's doing to lead our Veterans of Bain group. Kelly, welcome. Good to see you, Keith. Kelly, as always, I like to start with people's backgrounds. I think it helps our listeners understand who they're hearing from. I think there's a view out there that we're all the same and we all came to Bain through the same path, and that is about as far from the truth as you can get. So why don't you tell us a little bit about sort of where you grew up and what your early education path was like as you, as you headed into university? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm born and raised in Philly. I grew up an avid Philadelphia sports fan, which is really unfortunate if, if you follow Philadelphia sports teams. I grew up wanting to be a broadcast journalist, and not just a broadcast journalist. My aspirations were to be a Philly sports broadcast journalist, so had no aspirations of like making it big but working for the local network. That took a pivot. I, uh, I have four older brothers, no, three older brothers, one younger brother, and the one closest in age to me decided to go to West Point. That was around my junior year or my sophomore year in in high school. And when he said he was going to West Point, I asked him, what was West Point and why? And he said, because I know it's the one school you'll never follow me to. And so anyone that knows me, Keith, you know me well. (laughs) I said, challenge accepted. And, uh, you know, a year later, I I was in uh, fatigues, BDUs, whatever you want to call them, in basic training. And so I went to West Point. I studied economics uh, and engineering, played soccer there. I always tell people, why did I go to West Point? Um, because I'm stubborn. But I always say the, the reason why I went to West Point and the reason I stayed at West Point are very different. So I'm old-er, <laughs> and I started West Point shortly before 9-11-2001. So two months or so into attending the academy I went from thinking I was going to be part of a peacetime military and very quickly turned to a wartime military. Had the option to leave the academy at that point, but chose to stay. And the reason I chose to stay is, you know, a strong sense of duty to my country and being part of something bigger than myself. And my brothers and sisters to the left and right of me were were deploying to Iraq and Afghanistan, and there was no way I I was not going to join them. Kelly, did you have people in your family that encouraged you to sort of opt out and go to other schools, or was it sort of a foregone conclusion that you were in it and you were going to stick with it? Uh, yes, my my parents did a lot of research. Uh, I, my mom, having five kids, they they weren't eager to pay for college for any of us. But once nine eleven happened, um, my parents very much so they were proud of me for wanting to serve my country, but desperately wanted me to pursue other universities. So my mom had looked up the applications for transfer for Columbia, for Cornell, any schools that that she thought I'd be interested in going to, but I stayed firm with, with my commitment. And so you graduate in 2005, and then what happens with your military career? Where do you end up? I graduated in 2005. At that time, we were about two years into the war in Iraq. My organization had deployed to Iraq about a month before I met them. And so I deployed to Ramadi, Iraq in 2005 to 2006, serving with the Army as well as um, primarily the Marine Corps, actually. And our ambition then was primarily building out our own infrastructure. And so our, our soldiers at the time, we didn't have we didn't have showers, we did not have buildings to live in. I was living in a tent, going to the bathroom in a porta potty. So a lot of our mission was 
getting the infrastructure up and running as well as making sure our logistical routes were were cleared and our, we were able to get our troops from point A to point B. That was your first deployment. How long did that last? It was 12 months long. I was probably there for 11, 11 of those months, something like that. Okay. And then you come back and then you end up deploying again, if I remember correctly. Was it the same place, the same company uh, that you went over? Same company, um, same organization, but different place. So I deployed to Baghdad, Iraq for my second deployment. That deployment, the Army at that point had shifted to 15-month-long deployments to help. We didn't have enough forces, so we, we just stretched out our length of deployments to, to cover the time. And Baghdad, Iraq was a little bit of a different story than my first deployment. About two years had passed by that point, so it was a different point in the war. Our primary focus at that time was really more on infrastructure building for the local economy. So we were training the Iraqi army, we were building up the government infrastructure, building up the police station in in downtown Baghdad, and it was much more of nation building. You haven't asked me, but if I had to tell you what my favorite memory from that, well, there are very fond memories, if you can have fond memories in, in Iraq during that time. But but I was lucky enough to be deployed on the same base as, as my brother. So that was that was a real blessing for my brother and I, not so much for my parents. <laughs> so was that a, um, that's the same brother that went to the academy so that you wouldn't follow him to the academy? That's correct. <laughs> and here you are in Iraq together. Indeed, indeed, yes. <laughs> yes, and we got to we got to watch, you know, back to the bring it full circle, uh, Philadelphia sports fan. We got to watch the Phillies win the first World Series that we ever got to witness in Baghdad, Iraq together in a little metal container. So that was at like two or three in the morning, if I recall. Right. As a, as a Mets fan growing up, I can't say I'm happy that the Phillies won. But I will say that I'm happy that you got to celebrate that moment because being a Philly sports fan is a uh, is a life of suffering for quite a while. Indeed. <laughs> Kelly, so talk to me about the transition that you made. Your five year commitment to the military. You know, some people choose to stay, some people choose to leave. How did you think about that decision as it got closer, given the experiences that you had and, and some of the successes you were having in the military? It was a really it was both a really tough decision, but also um, an easy decision in some ways. So I mentioned that my brother and I were deployed together. I didn't mention, you know, my sister-in-law at the time was also deployed. And I came home for R&R, basically vacation from my 15-month deployment at about the 12-month mark. And that was the first time that I could see the toll that the war was physically and mentally taking on my family. And so while serving in the military felt like a very selfless decision, I realized the the people that were really making the sacrifice were my parents. And that's when I decided to transition out of uh, out of the military, frankly. And when I returned back to Iraq, I had about three months left in country. This was about June-ish time frame. So I took the GMAT in Iraq in a metal container. If anyone wants to talk about taking the GMAT in a metal container in Iraq, I'm happy, happy to talk about that experience. Wrote my business school essays and redeployed in like about the September, October time frame and then proceeded to get into Columbia Business School and transition out of the military shortly thereafter. Kelly, let's transition a little bit to what I'll say is sort of 
part two of your professional career as you leave the military and enter the business world uh, as a business school student. Why did you decide to get your MBA? Uh, you certainly could have re-enlisted. The war was certainly still going on, and I'm sure you had a lot of friends that at the time felt like family and probably still do. But you chose to go back to business school. What did you see in the future for your career and what you were trying to do professionally? I'm not doing today what I thought I, what I wrote in my long term <laughs> like essays in business school. But what I what what I did know is that while the military I had been in the military since I was 17, so nine of my most formative years of my adult life. And but I also didn't want my future to be solely defined by my military experience. I, I really did not want to be pigeonholed into what we call a JMO, junior military officer role. And so uh, my family were full of lawyers, uh, which makes for a very interesting holiday experience, very good at arguing. <laughs> so I considered law school and pivoted to business school. I had lots of classmates or examples of prior classmates that had made the same transition. I had a number of conversations with them while while I was in Iraq, and they seemed to have had it all together. And so I said, all right, well, you've never led me astray before, so I will follow you down this path. And so decided to go to Columbia Business School as a, and frankly, it made it a little bit of an easier transition than just going straight for the military, straight into industry. It was a little bit of a two-year buffer period to allow me to decompress from my military experience, try to figure out what and who I wanted to be when I grew up. Because again, the last time I really thought about who I wanted to be, I wanted to be a sports broadcast journalist, and that's not what I was going to do. So it gave me some time to reflect on, on that path. Did you meet other veterans that had also sort of recently left the military when you were in business school? And what was what was that shared experience or how did that relationship shape your, your time in business school? They are my closest friends to this day. So I clung I clung on to those folks. At Columbia, the group is called uh, MEBA, Military and Business Association. And they were my closest friends for the first year. And I think that crew... I mean, they're still my crew to this day. I was just talking to my friend Paige this morning, who who was uh, in the Navy, unfortunately, went to the Naval Academy. It's her only flaw, but um, that group was my my closest set of friends. They're the people that I, not what I recommend, but they are the people I case prepped with. That was like the blind leading the blind, but they played a pivotal role. They were kind of, they were in it with me and going through the same struggles of trying to relate to our civilian counterparts who frankly led just a very different life than than what we had been living for the past decade. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Paige. Uh, I will ask the team to leave that comment in there. Do you want to uh, recant anything that you just said about Paige? No. What? The Navy <laughs> part? <laughs> no. I... We will leave that in there. Uh, thank you and thank you Paige. Go Army, be Navy. What do you mean? No. talk about your path into Maine. So when did you get interested in consulting? Uh, you are at that point probably less than a year out of the military, uh, less than a year out of sort of giving up on the dream of being a sportscaster and you've made the decision not to become a lawyer. Uh, when did you think that consulting could be the right path for you? Recruiting started before 
I felt like I even attended my first class at Columbia. And frankly, the first month of recruiting, I went to every single recruiting event possible. I was in the investment banking recruiting. I was in consulting. I was in marketing. You name it, I was I was there for the conversation and the free pizza as a student. And within about the second month, I was able to narrow it down into consulting. And uh, I wish I could say that I had some perfect rubric that I was scoring against to lead me to consulting. What really attracted me were a couple things. One, you know, everyone I met through the recruiting process, I actually, it was not a painful conversation. It felt very natural and I enjoyed the conversation. The second thing is I didn't know what I didn't know. And I felt very insecure about different industries and trying to get the business acumen. And I thought, geez, if I could extend this business education past business school for a couple years, I felt like that would help me catch up to my classmates and my peers. And so that's kind of how I got interested in consulting. But what I'll say is, and I wasn't totally sold on it, to be clear, even going into my summer. Once I got boots on ground in Bain, I started in Dallas. I remember my first week on my case, it felt like home. And my team, it was, you know, I just kind of looked at myself. I was like, yes, I absolutely made the right decision to to go into consulting and to work at Bain. And I've never really looked back since then. So you were a summer associate in Texas, but then you graduated and you started on the West Coast. (laughs) Yes. Yes, indeed true. So I started in Dallas, Texas. My significant other took a job in California in the following year. And so Bain worked with me to transfer out to San Francisco um, to be honest, I was very hesitant to transfer out to SF. I was, you know, I had mentors and sponsors in Dallas, Texas, and I was worried about trying to establish those in San Francisco and frankly losing those. Um, and the reality was, you know, within a short time in SF, I developed my crew uh, in SF and then also maintained my crew in, in Dallas. And so folks like Ernan and who's a big part of the reason why I'm at Bain and Saber, who was my first manager and now a partner in Texas with me. I continue to check in with them every month to three months. And every single time they asked me when I was coming back to Texas and eventually made my way back. So spent a, a lot of time in San Francisco, spent a year in uh, Amsterdam as a senior manager, and then back to SF and then finally came back to Texas. Yeah, Kelly, and, and full disclosure, one of the highlights for me relatively recently was having her not on the podcast. Uh, he's also on my crew uh, and one of the people that I've worked with several times in my career. So he is uh, prolific at his mentoring for sure. Uh, and it's great to hear that we're, we're related in more ways than, than one in some, some sense from the Bain family. Kelly, let me ask you about the work that you were doing when you got back full time. Uh, San Francisco, of course, has a lot of work in tech, has a lot of work in private equity. You know, how did you find your groove there? Again, you're two years into your business training, so to speak. You hit the ground in San Francisco. What do you end up working on? And, and how did you feel about sort of your ability to keep learning, which was one of the reasons that brought you to Bain in the first place? Yeah, so when I started in San Francisco, I remember I had my first staffing chat with Abby Smith. So she was the person dedicated to all of my development for my first several years. 
And Abby asked me what I wanted to do. And I was like, Abby, listen, <laughs> like, all I want to do is learn how to do this job. And so that I, I want to be a manager in this business, but I can't manage anybody if I don't know how to do the job that the people are doing. And so I said, Abby, just staff me to like get as much of the toolkit as possible. And so Abby actually staffed me on like the sexiest case at the time, which was shocking because I, you know, I was my my start class was other folks that have worked at Bain prior to business school. I'm sure I was not the first pick. I was still <laughs> learning how to use Excel, but Abby Abby put me on that case because she said, Kelly, this is this is going to give you exposure to basically the entire foundation in our toolkit. And so I spent the first six months working on a restaurant strategy case, doing everything from figuring out the total market size, the growth, the customer segmentation, new decor, new menu items. That was a highlight. And and from there, following that first six months, I remember having a similar conversation with Abby and, and Neil. Neil was my office head and a sponsor, also a huge Philly sports fan. That's how we first connected, our love of Philly sports. And they said, you know, Kelly, I think you're yeah, I think you're ready to to spread your wings and fly a little bit what do you think about going into private equity? And initially I was pretty intimidated by private equity. The word itself, private equity, venture capital, like it all intimidated me. And they said, Kelly, listen, like this is going to give you a lot of repetitions to see a lot of different industries in a short period of time. It will allow you to grow in terms of your team role when you're ready. And let's, let's just give it a shot. And before you know it, looking back, I was there for three years, which is a very long time, the traditional rotation, six months. But I started my first deal just managing myself and learning how the private equity due diligence process worked. And then the second deal was managing one person and the third deal, two people. And then before I knew it, I was, I was managing the whole team. And it, I always kind of explain my first year and a half as at Bain as like trying to catch a wave. And the first six months I was doing a lot of paddling, right? <laughs> like I learned how to paddle really well, but never really stood up. And then private equity was, you know, it felt like I was just catching the wave at that point. And Kelly, where do you focus your work today? Total 180 from private equity. So I transitioned out of private equity into utilities and renewables. And, you know, people now are like, why did you do that? Like someone who works in private equity, that's like pure strategy work. And, you know, the reason was I was, um, I must have been a senior manager at the time. I, at that point, knew I really did want to be at Bain long term. And I went back to Neil and I said, Neil, again, you've never led me astray. What the heck do you think I should do? My whole identity is private equity. And Neil said, Kelly, knowing who you are, and he said, what do you think about utilities? And I was like, "Uh, I know that that's how I get the lights on and the gas flowing in my house, but that's, that's about it. And he said, Hey, just trust me on this. There's a couple of reasons why the the folks in the utilities practice. I think you'll work particularly well with the clients. I think you'll work well with with your former background as an an army engineer. And so why don't why don't we give it a try? And two weeks later, Jason Glickman from the utilities practice was giving me a call. And said, Kelly, what do you think about working with me on this project? And so I jumped on that train and haven't left. That that must have been like seven years ago at this point. It's really awesome. It also uh, speaks to, I think, a part of the culture that's kept me at Bain for so long as well, which is just you have people looking out for you. And, and if you trust them, things work out uh, because they really do have your best interest at heart. 
and they might suggest some things that seem totally out of left field. And you're like, all right, well, let's, let's do this and see what happens. Indeed, indeed. I always say that people at Bain care more about me professionally and personally than I do, which is, I didn't think it could top my experience in the military, and I don't like to compare the two, but I've been... Anyways, I'm very humbled by, by the amount folks invest in, in me personally. So Kelly, I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about the Veterans of Bain group that you're leading and have helped set up and frankly one of the pillars of that group. We talked a little bit about your transition into Bain. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the veterans you connected with when you got into business school. Did you have the same experience when you first joined Bain, arguably predating our Veterans of Bain group? So the the one person I didn't mention who was very critical to my success at Bain was a person named Ryan Gilchrist. He was a Marine Corps vet and actually not in the San Francisco office. He was in Boston. And early on, he was talking to Abby as well as Christine and Nikki, a couple of my managers and partners. And he was architecting my first two years alongside with Abby and my professional development advisor. So he played a very formal role in doing that, as well as I sent every single piece of feedback and review to Ryan and said, Ryan, like, how should I interpret this? What should I be doing differently? I don't understand what the heck knows for value really means or be 80, 20. Help me, help me understand this. And Ryan coached me through that all the way through, you know, my senior manager years. And you know, when people look back, when people ask me, geez, Kelly, you got out of the military, you came to Bain, lucky enough to get promoted early to senior manager, and they say, why? I'm like, it's hard to think that it was not because, you know, the investment Ryan made in me. And part of what I wanted to do with vets at Bain is make that a more structural element for every vet transitioning into Bain. And, you know, I was a part of this global war on terrorist GWAT group of veterans that were transitioning out. We had pretty you know, fantastic leadership experiences through the various wars we were involved in. And I wanted Bain to make sure that we were getting the best veteran talent out there, but not only attracting them to Bain, but making sure they were successful in Bain, right? So recruiting is easy and is the first step. The second is making sure that we support them through the first couple of years so that they can make it to senior manager and ideally partner. Because when we do this well, Veterans have are some of our most successful Bain partners, both from a client perspective as well as playing leadership roles, office head roles within the firm. And so I wanted to recruit, make sure we were deliberate recruiting veterans for both their potential as leaders in the business and as thought partners with with that veteran experience. And so that's how we started Veterans at Bain a long time ago. And you know, you've been part of the journey, Keith, and you've seen the growth of the team, and it's been a pretty, pretty awesome thing. And I'll say, when when I was recruiting for Bain and first came to Bain, people said, "Oh, you get to make your own Bain," <laughs> which which sounded kind of fluffy. And I was like, "Oh, okay, make make my own Bain. What does that mean?" And Veterans at Bain was probably the best example of it. I re- I remember talking to you, Keith, and and Russ Hagee at the time, who was the chief talent officer about this opportunity to formalize this group. And y'all just asked me what I needed to, ma- to make it happen. And so that's been a pretty, pretty awesome experience and a way for me to continue to pay it forward. 
And Kelly, can you talk a little bit about the needs that veterans have and why a group like Veterans at Bain was so important? Because I think the initial reaction people might have is go, well, how is that a diversity and affinity group at Bain? And the more I've gotten to see the work that you're doing and the different uh, perspectives and needs that veterans are bringing to the table, it becomes a lot clearer. The talent and the potential that we're seeing and, and frankly, the results that we're seeing are awesome. But help people understand who may not be as familiar with that population of folks, sort of what, why it's so important to get support during the transition and once they're at Bain. I'll start with, generally speaking, the transition from the military to the civilian world is hard, not just to consulting, but it's it's very hard, right? We've been working in an environment, you know, many of us were working in an environment where the decisions we were making were <laughs> life and death decisions. We, we weren't necessarily always at desk jobs and our work had true meaning and impact. And many of us were leading very large organizations. And so as you transition one out of out of the military, it, it's hard to find that sense of purpose. So there's there's a support that's needed there. So transitioning from the military to consulting, it's just a very different day-to-day job and making sure our veterans feel supported and they're getting the right development through that first, call it that first 12 to 24 months is critical, right? And so when I first joined Bain, I didn't know how to build an Excel market model or write a survey or run a conjoint analysis, but I didn't need to. I just needed to be taught how to do it, and the second time I'd be faster at it, right? And so making sure our veterans, one, feel okay and supported that you're not expected to know how to do everything when you first come. You're expected to learn quickly, and making sure that that doesn't mean that they're holding the ship down. It's the expectation is is critical. The other transition is hard is, frankly, our veterans are tend to be older or the same age as the people that are telling them what to do. And so making sure that even the managers know how to handle that maturity and confidence coming from the veteran and coach them in the right way is important. So it's not just a lot of what we do is coaching the veteran how to interpret the feedback and how to get up the curve, but it's just as much about coaching Bain and the managers and the staffers of how to how to coach them to best empower their their veteran talent. And so yeah, it's, I, I always get asked the group, it's, it's, it's such a weird diversity group, but it's, it's a group that has different challenges. But dang, if we, if we get over those obstacles and unlock it, man, that diversity of thought and how they push the answer in their teams is incredible. And so that's, I like to invest in that talent early on because it, it makes us get to a better answer for our clients full stop. Kelly, one of the things that I, I want to make sure we do explicitly here is for the veterans that are listening today, like some of the other folks that we brought in, uh, we did a, a mini-series earlier this year for advanced degree hires, for example. Similar to some of our veterans, I think they tend to focus on what they don't have in terms of background and business experience, and they don't spend nearly enough time talking about the strengths that they do have that, frankly, people who were ACs before business school like myself and people who have business backgrounds like plenty of others don't have. What are some of the strengths that veterans should focus on instead of sort of being preoccupied with what their perceived deficiencies are? Yes, I feel like you're giving me my own feedback, Keith, which still to this day (laughs) is one of the biggest things Ryan Gilchrist told me very early on is Kelly you need to stop being so self-deprecating because you actually have a lot to offer. And what I would say veterans have to offer is 
our ability, one, we are critical thinkers. We have been strategic thinkers. And not only are we strategic thinkers, we've actually had to execute that strategy, which is, which is unique. So we understand veterans are able to come up with very tangible recommendations that can actually be executed versus something that looks lovely on a PowerPoint slide but can never actually be executed operationally. That's number one. And that strength will carry veterans from their consulting years all the way through their partner years if, if they choose to stay. The second is our ability to just get stuff done. And we've grown up in an environment where we've never had the right data, we've never had enough time, and we've never had enough resources in the military. And our ability to just like cut through all the nonsense and figure out what needs to be done to accomplish our mission is a strength because, you know, not consulting is not the same at all the same thing as, as a wartime environment. But the similarities are we never have the, the right client resources. The data is never perfect. It's actually more imperfect than not. And our ability to cut through all that noise and get to an answer is awesome. And then the third is just our ability to stay calm under pressure. It's something that I did not appreciate, but I remember on my first team, one of my supervisors came into the team room like hyperventilating <laughs> with like sweat coming down their face. And I was like, whoa. And I was like three months into the job. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? Like we're working on a restaurant strategy. Like nothing can be like you're acting like someone just got shot, but it can't possibly be that bad. And I was like, why don't you take a step out of the room, take a deep breath, and then come back in and we'll figure out what the plan is to go forward. And years later, one of my, this person was one of my associate consultants on the team, but became one of my mentees years later at Bain. And, you know, she told me, she's like, Kelly, do you remember when you said that? I was like, no. And she's like, that played such a huge role because I'm constantly so stressed out about the job and you help put it into perspective of what we're really doing, which is it's stressful, but, you know, we're going to get it done. And the more we can maintain our cool, the better we're going to be at developing the plan. And so those would be the, the three things that I would highlight. Awesome. Kelly, for people listening, I do want to make sure that we touch on some of the work that Veterans of Bain is doing. So if they are excited about joining Bain and they're a veteran and they're, they get through the recruiting process and they join the team, what can they have to look forward to that the Veterans of Bain team does to support them in their careers? Yeah, so one, I'll start with, they should just be excited about the whole Bain, <laughs> Bain team to start because I think that's that's pretty exceptional. And my, my husband reminds me on a daily basis that we live in, I live in a very utopic little society where you get to do meaningful work and work with very grounded, humble, driven people. And then for veterans specifically, the additional programming, I guess I would say, that we have is, you know, our annual global summits where we get veterans together from all over the globe for a couple of days. And some of it is obviously business related, working on our strategy and how we want to shape the program. And again, our mission is to develop, retain and the best veteran talent out there. But also some of his camaraderie building, community building, and going back to my crew from business school, that crew is so important. And similarly at Bain, my Vets at Bain crew is still my foundation of where I feel like I, to be clear, Keith, you know me, I always feel like I can be my authentic self at Bain. But really with the Vets crew, I they understand me better than anyone else 
at Bain. And so building that community. The, the other thing that we spend a lot of time doing is, if you want to call it allyship building or bridging the military to civilian gap, we do a lot of that. And so, for example, around Veterans Day in November, we'll do lunch and learns around what Veterans Day is, telling people about our service, because if you can imagine those veterans, we're not the most talkative when it comes to what we did in our prior lives. I don't know, Keith, that I shared with you what I did in my prior life, despite us knowing each other for the past decade. And and so that's an, an opportunity for folks around our office to get to know us a little bit better. We spend time on Memorial Day talking about what it means to us and who, who we're remembering on that holiday, just to, again, remind people that Memorial Day is not just about barbecues and beer, although that's an important part. And every one of my friends who didn't come home would want us to drink beer and eat barbecue, but but also remember the sacrifice of the men and women. And so we do a fair amount of that as well, which helps connect folks. It helps, frankly, it helps people understand where, where veterans are coming from. And so. That's really great to hear, Kelly. As we start to wrap up, Kelly, for folks listening that are veterans and thinking about what to do with their career and what the right next step may be, what advice would you give them as they think about the next several years of their journey? So I have a couple thoughts here. The first is recognize that the transition isn't the easiest, but you're not alone on the transition. There are a lot of other veterans that have that are going through it with you, a lot of other veterans that have been through it. And so give yourself grace as you're as you're dealing with the transition, right? I, I go back, what makes it hard for veterans? Going from feeling like you understood your purpose on a daily basis to the transition to the civilian world, like your purpose is meaningfully different. Giving yourself grace. The second piece of advice I would give is I think veterans often think, you know, for a lot of us, last time we made a career decision was 10 years ago, right, a decade ago. And people think that the next move they make is going to define the rest of their 30-plus career. And, and you know, that could be the case. Like, I'm still here, and I'll be at Bain as long as Bain will have me. But more often than not, people change jobs and do different things. And so it's about just taking the next step for what will position you well for the next thing, and you don't need to know that path. The more veterans that I talk to and people that folks will look at on LinkedIn and think, wow, that person's wildly successful. When you get to know them, their career zigged and zagged throughout it. And then the last thing that I would say as you're going through the recruiting process with Bain and consulting, really get take the time to evaluate us, right? evaluate if we're the right fit for you and get to know us and figure out if if this is an environment where you'll be able to thrive and if we'll be able to bring out the best in you. And and that's probably the best advice that I have. Go easy on yourself. <laughs> Take the time to get to know us and it'll be all right. That's awesome. And, and try and enjoy the journey every step of the way. Kelly, I want to wrap up here. As you said, during your remarks. I've known you for about a decade, but I don't think we've ever had a chance to really catch up. And as I said, when we were preparing for this, knowing you're from Philly and a Philly sports fan <laughs> helps you make a lot more sense to me. I can say that as a fellow, uh, a fellow East Coaster. Uh, but Kelly, thanks for your time today. And uh, it was great to catch up. It was great, Keith. Have a good one. Thanks everyone for tuning in to Beyond the Bio. If you'd like to share a review or give us input on what you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd really like to hear from you please email our inbox at beyondthebio at bain.com 
We'll see you soon with some new episodes and thanks for listening.